Thank you for listening to a podcast of Rock Church. For more information on sermons and events, connect with us online at rockchurchnow.com or search Rock Church Now in the App Store. Many will come in my name, claiming they are the Messiah. You will hear whispers and rumors of war. There will be famines and earthquakes in many places. And many will turn from the faith, betraying and hating one another. The sun will fade out, the moon will cloud over, and stars will fall out of the sky. The arrival of the Son of Man will take place in times like Noah's. Before the flood, everyone was carrying on as usual, having a good time right up to the day Noah boarded the ark. They knew nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. It's time to wake up. There's a flood. That's a video that ought to wake you up. I said, that's a video that ought to wake you up. You're not awake yet. You will be. Go to Genesis chapter 6. We'll get there in about... 45 minutes. Earlier in the year, I shared a short series called Wake Up, There's a Fire. How many came out for that? And you came back. Praise the Lord. In that series, what we did was we kind of talked about some end times events that are here and on the way. That's what we got into back in, I think it was February. Well, we're going to revisit the last days kind of from another angle, kind of an interesting viewpoint. We'll get to Genesis 6 in just a second. But uh, people will often ask me um, why I tend to toss in some end times, uh, second coming uh, scriptures, uh, doctrines, beliefs uh, in some of my messages and some of my sermons. And my answer is always because end times events are all over Scripture. What am I supposed to do? I mean, one-third of the Bible is prophecy, and two-thirds of all prophecy is about the second coming of Christ, or at least about end times events. So that's pretty much why I I tie it in quite a bit. This is a series where we're going to really focus on the second coming of the Lord. I recently had an opportunity to shoot a podcast, and the interviewer asked me this question. We're going to put it on the screen for you. But he said this. He says, why are end times events seldom talked about among Christians and in local churches today? Why? That's how he pretty much opened up the interview. Now, I'm I'm just asking you a rhetorical question, but what would you say to that? Why is it that, that, that end times events, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, is seldom talked about amongst Christians going out for a cup of coffee and or amongst pastors, parishioners in local churches? What would you say? I'm going to share with you some of my answers from that interview real quick. A, um, one of the things I said was many Christians and churches think, they think that end times talk is a turnoff. We've got this misconception. We think, hey, we start talking about the end times, and everybody's going to think we're weird. Well, I want you to know something. They already think you're weird. All right? You know what I'm saying? 
uh, you know, we have these, you know, the stereotypical, you know, sensationalist view, and that's what they're going to think of, of me. That's why we don't talk about it. You know, I just want you to know, when I first heard about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it didn't turn me off. And I was young. I know it's hard to believe that at one time I was young, you know. And when I was really, really young, I heard about the end times. I heard about the second coming of Jesus, and it did not turned me off. If anything, it intrigued me, got me interested. Are you kidding me? This creator of the world is coming back again a second time? That dude that died on a cross is coming back again? This kind of went cheese and chong on you for a second. But I'm just saying, it, it, it just intrigued me and really got me to, to dive into this Jesus and find out how much he was madly in love with me and wanted to forgive me of all my sins, and I gave my life to him. But it was the message of the end times that got my attention. Um, Daniel talks a ton about the end times. Peter, Paul, and... Help him, Lord Jesus. Peter, Paul, and Jesus. The Sunday school answer, Jesus! It's a gimme! Peter, Paul, and Jesus talked a ton about end times events, as well as the Apostle John. Okay, I'll give you another reason why Christians and churches may not be talking a ton about the end times. As, as people think end times talk is a scare tactic. If you do that, you're just trying to scare people. You know, listen, I'm going to assure you of one thing today. And anytime you have a conversation with me, there's nothing I can say that's scarier than what's already here and what's on the way. I, 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 there's nothing I can say. I, I, could, I could come up with the most graphic, unbelievable, you know, end times kind of concept, and there's nothing I can say that's scarier than what's really on the way. I'm here, guys, you came to rock yours today. Now, I do believe this, that you can overemphasize end times events, making it like your only message or your main message, and you're not talking about anything else. But I'm here to tell you right now, that is not what's going on today. The last thing I, we, we can say is we're overemphasizing the last days. That is just not happening. If anything, we're underemphasizing the last days, Christ's return. See, uh, would be modern day people and preachers do not think End times events are relevant. Let me tell you the truth about that. The truth is Christ's return is more relevant today than ever. It's more relevant than ever. I mean, last week I was watching the news and President Biden was on the news and he was talking about nuclear Armageddon. The president was talking about Armageddon, the end times war that is on the way. I just thought that was really uh, ironic. Um, I'm not sure if he understands what Armageddon really is, but nevertheless, our president was talking about it. I don't mean as an insult, but I don't know if he knows the scriptures. I don't know if he studied Armageddon. Here's what's really frustrating. Why is the president talking about Armageddon more than God's people? Why is the president talking about Armageddon more than preachers, more than Christians, more than our local churches? give you one more reason. I think this is the main reason why 
Christians and churches and preachers aren't talking about the last days, the end times, and Christ's soon return. Uh, it would be D, and it's the enemy has lulled us to sleep. The enemy has just flat out lulled us to sleep. Satan's strategy, it's working. That's why I say we need to wake up, amen? And that's why I'm welcoming you today to wake up, there's a flood. Wake up, there's a flood. Raise your hand if you've ever woken up, gone downstairs, and your basement was flooded. Raise your hand. What I feel for you guys? It's a nightmare, isn't it? It usually happens when your sub pump goes out. I mean, I love that invention, you know, the sub pump, you know? This is what I personally believe, you know? I, I believe this. You don't have to accept this. This is just me talking here. I personally believe that backup systems for sub pumps should be code. All this lawlessness going on in, in this day and age, they should make it a law. If you build a new house, you must put in a backup for your sub pump. Somebody say amen. amen. You've been there. Now, I'm a former plumber. I know you hear me say that a lot. Um, I have never had my sub pump go out. God's grace has been all over me. Someone say hallelujah. Uh, but I have had the bottom of my hot water tank just collapse. Just fall out. The entire bottom of the tank just, just, just collapsed, which flooded my basement while Kimmy and I were on vacation. Isn't that an incredible phone call? Got somebody staying at your house. And they call you up to tell you there's 11 inches of water in your basement and I don't know what to do? How about shut the water off, McFly? Just a thought. Biggest, one of the problems we had was our, our floor drains were covered with carpet. And I had gotten this carpet from Cecil Fielder. He used to play for the Detroit Tigers. Cecil upgraded his carpet we were doing some plumbing work at his house, and he gave me his old carpet, which caused my house to flood. All right. Can't blame Cecil for that one. Sometimes floods are predicted, right? And, and sometimes there's warning signs. And, and, and people have time to get ready. Other times, other times we have no warning signs to, to get ready. A few years ago, up north in Michigan, dams broke, right? Drying up lakes and flooded many areas, right? And some say, some say there were warning signs and the people should have been ready and others say it was a fluke flood and there really was no time to get ready. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not that spiritual. Well, the most famous flood ever, it came with plenty of warnings, plenty of warnings. And only a handful of people, check this out, only a handful of people were ready. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us only eight people got ready. So we're going to read that account real quick, some of it anyway. Genesis chapter 6, we'll start in verse 5. So the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every 
indication indication of the Lord. What's that word? Inclination. That's a tough one. I got another one that's coming up that's even tougher than that. I'm struggling with inclination. All right? Of, Of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. The Lord regretted or grieved that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For, For I regret, I grieve that I have made them. But Noah found favor, come on now, in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people from the earth is filled with violence, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. I mean, that's probably some pretty good advice after hearing all that. So make yourself an ark. We're going to stay in Genesis. I don't know why I shut my Bible. Let's jump over to chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. 7-7, Genesis. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. 7-10. And after... After the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. 7.23, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in, in the ark. I'm here. Glad the Lions aren't playing today. Now, many people read this account, and they say, or they think, they think, what in the world? I mean, God was so harsh. He was so graceless. When the truth is, God was and God is exactly just the opposite. Just the opposite's going on there. Mankind was so wicked, so selfish, so corrupt, so violent that they were going to annihilate themselves. They were going to wipe themselves out. So what does God do? God, in his grace, in his favor, uses a righteous man named Noah to protect and preserve the human race. That's what was going on down there. Now, how many are grateful that we are never, ever again going to wake up to an all-earth flood? 
In fact, God says, I send you my rainbow as a sign, as a promise, as a covenant that I will never again flood the earth. Genesis chapter 9, verse 13 through 14. Today, God the Father is sending us many signs of his son's soon return. And I'm going to go over some of those signs with you really fast. Number one is the sign or the signs of nature. The increase, the intensity of storms and plagues and natural disasters. You read that in Matthew 24 as well as Luke 21. The signs of the nations. The nations colliding and collaborating are both signs. Nation versus nation is another sign, right? Ethnos against ethnos or ethnicity against ethnicity, those are signs of Christ's soon return. Terrorism out of control, again, signs of the nations. Luke 21 again and Matthew 24 once again. Number three is signs of Israel. Israel in the news and Israel making noise. You want to know what's going on in the world? Keep your eyes on Israel because God is. You want to know what's going on? You want a little bit of a timetable? Don't take your eyes off the Jewish nation. I'm just trying to help you here, right? You can read that in Genesis chapter 12. Some even say this, that many Jews returning to their homeland is a sign of the last days. Just a crazy thought. Number four is signs of acceleration. This is the increase of knowledge at such a fast pace. We call it the information age, right? Information and technology are exploding. But the thing that's interesting about this is Daniel chapter 12 told us this would happen in the, in the last days. Incredible. Number five is signs of society. This has to do with beliefs and behaviors. How many know it ain't Mayberry anymore? If you're young and you're out there and you're like, what in the world is Mayberry? Google it. It's really safe. You'll run into some dude named Opie, but other than that, you're going to be fine. All right? It's not Mayberry anymore. This is a sign that talks about the increase of self and the increase of immorality, the increase of evil being acceptable. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Number 6. One of my favorite signs to talk about is a sign of scoffers. People scoffing, mocking, and saying stuff like, where is this coming? You Christians have been talking about the return of Jesus for centuries, for millennials. I mean, you guys have been talking for generations. Where is this sign? And they mock Christians that are waiting and hoping for the blessed hope, the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when they scoff, understand this, they're fulfilling prophecy. They're actually fulfilling prophecy, 2 Peter chapter 3. Then there's a sign of apostasy. So what in the world is that? That's the great falling away of the faith. Paul calls it the great rebellion in other translations. The great rebellion. We begin to rebel against God's beliefs and the behaviors that God calls us to. We just rebel Right? We fall away from those things. That's Thessalonians chapter 2. Number eight is the signs of deception. Let me just tell you something about this, this word called lying. Lying is now the norm. 
It's the norm. And Jesus said, let no one deceive you, right, in Mark 13. Number nine is the sign of a lack of love. Jesus said it was this way. He said, the love of most is going to grow cold. And when you see the love of most growing cold, know that your redemption draws near. Matthew 24. And number 10 is the sign of the gospel. It's the advancement of the gospel to all nations, all ethnic groups before the return of the Lord. The problem is, or the question is, we never know when Jesus is satisfied that all nations, all ethnicities have had an opportunity to hear his gospel good news message, Mark 13. Well, I want to get into another kind of a unique, underemphasized sign of Christ's return. I think you know where I'm going. And Jesus actually quoted this, and he actually prophesied this, right? And for those of you that say, you know, there are a lot of people that will say stuff like, I believe in Jesus, but this ancient flood stuff is just a fairy tale. It's just not going to hold water with Jesus because Jesus quoted the days of Noah. Jesus actually warned us that his return would be similar to the days of Noah. I'm going to read you that account. It's in Matthew chapter 24, and we'll start in verse 36. And understand, again, this is from the words of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Same Jesus that you trust for your salvation said these words, Matthew 24, 36. What about the day or hour? No one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what, was, what, what, what happened until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with, with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night that the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you will also, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect him. I'm going to read verse 37 again. As it is in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Today, like in the days of Noah, wickedness is all over our world. From hatred to immorality to terrorism to world greed and world powers. Today, corruption is all over politics and religions. Scams and scandals are almost daily news. Today, violence and crime, like in the days of Noah, are on a mammoth rise. Listen, violence is no longer just on the news, violence is now on our streets. Are you with me? But what does Jesus mean when he says people will be eating, drinking, and marrying? What in the world is that all about? What's his point there? I don't see a problem with eating, drinking, and getting married. Why does he bring that up? 
Jesus is talking about how in the days, how in Noah's day and in the day he returns, the times will be similar. People will be going on with normal life, eating, drinking, partying, and marrying. People will be focused on what's temporal and not what's eternal. What's Jesus getting, what's his point here? People will be spiritually asleep and not awake and in tune with the signs of the times. In Noah's day, the people were not in tune with the signs of the times. So Jesus is trying to wake up our generation by saying, learn from the days of Noah. They were not in tune. They were too busy doing whatever they wanted, and they missed the warnings about the flood. How many are with me this morning? Again, as a result of not being ready, today people will be living in fear and freaking out at plagues and or pandemics. As a result of not being ready, people will be surprised when suddenly end times events are being fulfilled. Because they're going to happen suddenly, the scriptures say. When people are saying peace and safety, understand that suddenly destruction will come on them. That's what the word tells us. And ultimately, people will be pounding on the door of the ark, screaming, let me in. Hopefully, you're awake. I passionately believe, guys, passionately believe that our theme, wake up, is a prophetic spiritual wake-up call. I just believe that big time. Wake up, there's a fire. Wake up, there's a flood. We've gone through many different series this whole year because I firmly believe that God Almighty is trying to wake up his sleeping church. Believe that. The question is, are you, are we truly spiritually awake? And only you can answer that. I don't know where you're at. The Lord knows whether or not you're spiritually awake. And let me even say it another way. The Lord knows whether or not you're scripturally awake, right? Because if you're basing your spiritualness, your spiritual awakeness, I don't even know if that's a word. If you're basing it on your feelings and society and not what the scriptures say, you're probably not awake. It's just a crazy thought. In the days of Noah, society didn't want to hear from an old man preacher of righteousness. They didn't want to listen to him. Again, not only were people evil, self-centered, corrupt, and violent, People were too busy with this life. They were too busy with their life and had no time for the giver of life. It's a good word right there. Sound familiar? No time or little time for the giver of life. Let me tell you something about your life. Your life is in God's hands. You don't own it. He's the owner of life. And when, when you think it's your life, man, you're really missing life. Because life is in Christ, right? It's in Christ. We have a culture today that is so focused on their life, my life, and they're missing that God has given you life because he has a plan and a crazy purpose for you to impact this generation with. Isn't that something? Today, many believers 
can't find time to put Jesus on their everyday plans, their everyday agendas, their everyday dreams, and ultimately their everyday life. I'm saying this stuff in the mirror, okay? Many of us can't find time for prayer, can't find time for praise, and we can't, time, can't find time to spiritually get prepared for what's on the way. We've allowed society to set our schedules instead of our Savior. We've allowed society to set our schedule instead of the Holy Spirit. Many just squeeze church in, you know, a church service in, monthly-ish. If we can find maybe once a month, I just kind of squeeze in that in-person thing, you know, we're probably okay. I don't want to debate how often you need to come to church, but it's surely not healthy when, when you got to squeeze it in. Because without, without the local church, you can't experience Christian community and accountability and growth. Because iron still sharpens iron. Amen? It just does. And many believers are, you know, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to pastor you here. Uh, they're just violating Hebrews 10.25. It's like they take this verse and they just violate it and they, and they wonder why they're kind of missing out on the blessings and the favor of the Lord. But wait, some of it has to do with, we just violate Hebrews 10.25. I want to read this in the Amplified Version. Where it says, not forsaking our meeting, our assembly together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ's return approaching. I mean, the scriptures tell us that. And how many of you noticed that, that it says to get together more as you see the return of the Lord approaching. The scripture clearly tells us to get together more, yet we, we are making it a habit to get together less. Do you not see that as a sign? Do you not see that as kind of like a violation of what, of what God is asking us? As the day gets closer, the day of Christ's return gets closer, Jesus is saying, get together more. You're going to need to get together more because there's so much deception, uh, obstacles, and persecution out there. You are going to need one another. Get together more, not less. Don't make it a habit of getting together less. Make it a habit of getting together more. Time for amen. Truth is this. The enemy strategy kind of seems to be working. If the enemy can get Christians running around, they won't be ready for Christ's return. Right? It's just... If we never talk about Christ's return, maybe it's not all that real. Maybe it's not all that relevant. How many know this? Whether you talk about Christ's return, it doesn't change whether the fact that it's real or relevant. I'm just being real, right? I would, this is going to sound a little self-centered, maybe a little arrogant, but I would not go to a local church that never brings up end times events. I wouldn't go to a local church if they bring it up every week, all right? I would go to a local church that says, you know what? It's in the book. It's in the message. It's a part of the Christian message, and we need to talk about this because it's real and it's relevant. 
you can say, well, you know what? I, I'm out of here. Somebody invited me to this crazy place. I'm never coming back here. I'm going to go to a church that doesn't bring this up. It's not going to change the fact that the stuff we're talking about today are, is going to come to pass. So you might as well be in a place that warns you of what's, what's going down. Thank you, Bill. I would even say it this way. If the enemy can keep some of us spiritually sleeping, then we won't sense the signs of the times. You know, if it just keeps you sleeping a little bit, maybe napping. Today, people won't even listen to a, to a meteorologist. I said it right. Just so you know, I nailed it in both services. I can't say inclination, but I can say this word. Weather men and women. I'm not going to try it again because I'm two for two. <laughs> People on the news, weathermen, warning us of hurricanes and Tropical storms. People even, today, people won't even listen to them. How are you going to listen to Jesus? You know, you can't even listen to a weatherman. On the screen are some pictures from Ian, Florida's recent hurricane. Home streets, cities were flooded, devastated, destroyed. Right? Dreams were shattered. Went to preach at a church last week smaller church, and the pastor said, half my crowd's not here. They're snowbirds. They flew down and drove down to Florida because of, of, of Ian. I got to preach to a bunch of millennials, praise the Lord. All right. My brother-in-law, David, um, lives in Cape Coral. So you better believe we were worried, praying, and hoping he survived. And it was tough because we couldn't, you know, we were on the phone, then we, then we couldn't get on the phone. He couldn't even charge his phone. We, we had no idea what was going down. We're, we're freaking out, you know? So, you know, if David's watching right now, here's what I'm going to say to my brother-in-law, David. Grab your comic books and book next time, all right? We don't need this, you know? He's tough, he's macho, he's going he's gonna to weather the storm. Get out of town, man, you know? I don't need my wife freaking me out when I'm trying to watch the ball game. I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> can't believe I went there. There's some truth to that. We'll talk about it another time. I'm glad she's not in here. There's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> All right. One of the most, this is huge, one of the most devastating problems in our world and in our churches today is people cherry-picking Scripture. Just cherry-picking it. I would also add they're kind of cherry-picking characteristics of God, just some characteristics. Not all. When's the last time somebody quoted Genesis chapter 6 to you? I'm just asking. You know? We just cherry pick. We just cherry pick scriptures. And we cherry pick 
characteristics of God. Today, people are leaving out the tougher, tougher portions of Scripture. And we're making up a God who fits us. We're making up a God who's kind of like socially acceptable. We're only bringing up characteristics that we think people can, you know, tolerate. We still love their pastor. Well, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. I appreciate that. Question. Why do we leave out portions of Scripture that warn us? It's going to challenge you as a Christian. When's the last time you kind of shared a portion of Scripture that was kind of like a warning to your unchurched, unbelieving friends, family members. Just asking. I'm not saying every day you need to, you know, go get a sandwich sign on, walk down the street and say the end is near. I didn't say that. But when's the last time you just were used by God to warn someone about some of the stuff that's on the way? Because here's the truth. God warning us reveals God's love for us. It just does. Everybody's in the love message. If you really love people, you ready? Warn them. Warn them. I didn't say Monday morning, walk into the office, shut the alarm off, and scream to everybody the end is near. I didn't say that. But if you really love your loved ones, Every now and then, you need to warn them. Amen? When you warn your children of a hot stove or to steer clear from strangers, that's not mean. In fact, it's really mean if the stove is hot and you don't tell your little two-year-old it's hot. You know what? That's mean. Right? That's a problem. I'm going to take your kid away from you. Just a crazy thought. It's not mean, it's not a scare tactic, and it's not irrelevant. You know what it is? It's love. You know what it is? It's love. Hello, V-E. I went to East Detroit, and I can still spell it. It's love. We need to understand that because everybody's saying, I only want to tell people that God loves them. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you'll, if you'll warn them, that shows you God's love. And I'm going, to sh- I'm going to explain that to you right now. Before we totally destroy ourselves in the fire, some of you are like, that's not going to happen. The Bible tells us that a third of the earth is going to be destroyed by fire, probably, probably nuclear Let me say it again. Before we totally destroy ourselves in the fire, Jesus is returning for his bride. All right? You say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's in the book. I'm just saying. Before we totally destroy ourselves in the fire, Jesus is returning for his church. He's coming back for his army coming back for his family. You know what that's called? That's called love. His love is still warning his people. 
I don't know what your view of mankind is. Let me give you my, my theological view of mankind, including myself. Mankind is a mess. Look at the person next to you and say, he nailed you perfectly. Listen, if you don't think you're a mess, why did God the Father let us mess up his son on the cross? You're a mess. We're all a mess. Welcome to Rock Church. You'll fit right in here. If you can admit that you're a mess, you will fit right in, not only here, but in the kingdom of God. I'm just telling you. Mankind is a mess, and we are making a bigger mess. So Jesus is coming again to clean up our mess. All right? That's what's going down. We're a mess, and we're making a bigger mess. You say, I don't believe that. Well, just go to the Ukraine, and you'll get a wake-up call. Right? I know right now we seem pretty safe because we're on American soil all it takes is, is, is some boats overseas, some, some planes overseas, some rockets, and all of a sudden, how many know if they can bomb Pearl Harbor, they might be able to do something to God bless America? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I am saying this, that a third of the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. In Noah's day, the ark saved the human race. And in, and in the day of the Lord, Jesus himself is coming again to rescue us. That was a good time for a shout or something. You have to understand that Jesus is not just giving an analogy. He's basically saying that history is going to repeat itself. The same thing that happened or a similar thing that happened in the days of Noah where God rescued eight people from annihilating themselves, God is going to do the same thing again, but this time he's coming in the flesh. Whew. All right, I should have told you to turn to Second Peter chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen anyways. Second Peter 2. I'm just going to read verse 4 and 5. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held in judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. I'll say it again. God is warning you. He's warning me. He's warning us to get ready to get in the ark Ultimately, what God the Father is doing is he's warning us to get in Christ. Get in Christ. He's the ark. Are you with me? He's the rock and he's the ark, right? Get in Christ. You say, well, why? Because devastation, destruction, darkness, and death are all on the way. All of them are on the way. Okay. Back to my hot water tank. You know what the worst part of our hot water tank collapsing was? You're going to say, yeah, your basement flooding. No, that wasn't the worst part. Technically, I was ready. 
ready. I said, what do you mean you were ready? I was ready my tank to go. I was ready to go. A couple months before my tank went, my neighbor knocking on my door. Angelo, I know you're a plumber. My hot water tank is leaking. Would you come over and help me? Sure, I want to be a good neighbor. I can make 50 bucks, 100 bucks off my neighbor. Praise the Lord, I'll put it in the offering bucket. You know what I'm saying? So I went over there. He was stinking clueless, all right, clueless. So I, I replaced his hot water tank. To this day, I've never been paid. Anyway, not bitter, just bringing it up. I went home that evening and was with my looking at my hot water tank, and I noticed it was the exact same brand as his, right? You know? And I noticed that his house and my house were like identical models, you know? Both of them were built in 1979. I was living in Warren at this time. Pretty sharp, guys. My father asked me, he's a plumber too, he asked me, he said, what do you want for Christmas? I want a hot water tank, you know? Well, why do you want a hot water tank? Well, my, my neighbor's hot water tank went, and I got a feeling mine's going to go pretty quick too. So my dad bought me a hot water tank for Christmas. And you're like, well, who does that? Who buys a hot water tank for Christmas? Plumbers do that. Right? What do they do? They look at you and they say, what do you want for Christmas? you need a toilet or a tank? Which one do you want, you know? I took the hot water tank. Now, understand this, that right next, I mean right next to my old nasty hot water tank in a box was a new, a brand new hot water tank just sitting there waiting to get installed, right? The tank was, 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 was just ready to be installed. I knew my tank was ready to collapse, but I did not replace it. Why didn't I replace it? Because I was too busy, I was busy with life, right? Way too busy with life. Uh, I was doing a bunch of religious stuff. I didn't have time to change my tank. And technically, many of you, many of you are ready for Christ's return. Technically, you're ready. You said a prayer one year ago, two years ago. 10 years ago, 39 years ago, you said a prayer, and it was powerful. You're technically ready. You answered an altar call two years ago, four years ago, eight years ago. The preacher shared a hellfire and brimstone message. You got convicted of your sin. You crawled to an altar. You weeped and you wailed to an altar. You were on all fours coming to the altar. Bag of weed fell out of your pocket. You're just, you're just going for it, man. Confessed all your sins. You, you shared everything. You wept. You cried snot everywhere. The whole church was a hot mess, literally. Technically, oh, you ready. Technically, you are ripping raring and ready to go, technically. Most of us have anywhere from two, three, 
five to eight Bibles in our house. I'm not even counting the one on your phone. That's a gimme. I mean, like, you can have it on your phone? Yeah, dude, download it. It's time to wake up. The average house in America has 4.3 Bibles. What? Like that hot water tank, right, in a box, some never open the book. Just don't. Just never open the book. Let me just tell you something. If you would just open the book, just open the book, you'd wake up and you would read about Christ's first coming. All the stuff we sing at Christmas would make sense. I'm serious. Away in a manger, no room for his head. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. You didn't think I could do that, did you? I remember my first Christmas after I gave my life to Jesus, and I opened up the book. And we sang Away in a Manger. I wept and freaked out in the crowd going, I understand that song. We used to sing that knocking on doors making money. You know what I mean? Christmas caroling. Think about it. The creator, you would read, the creator of the world became man, became king, and we placed him in a dog bowl. That's, that, that's how sharp we are. Placed him in a dog bowl. You know, we, we, we'd read about his first coming and how, how much he loves sinners. You guys, me, right? You see how much he loves people and how much he rebuked the religious. That's one thing I love about Jesus. Like he didn't play games, you know, going after the sinner, going after the, the downtrodden, going after the, the oppressed, right? And, and the religious people, man, he was just all over them saying, yeah, I mean, you clean up the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. I mean, he was just powerful. I just love it. You open up the book and, and you'd be like, oh my goodness. That Jesus that was born in a manger and that we crucified is coming back. You know, you'd be, like, you'd be like, he's coming back again? Yeah, he's coming in the clouds. Someone say praise the Lord, right? And you'd read another spot where, where he's coming back and he's going to be on a white horse. Like, explain to me, I don't even know. That just sounds powerful, you know what I'm saying? He's coming with a sword on a white horse. You know, and you, you would read this stuff and, and you'd be like, the first time he came, he was like a humble king. And the second time he comes, he's going to be a conquering king. Oh, my goodness. You'd, be like, you'd open up the book, and, and, and you would read, again, that God became man to rescue me, to redeem me, you. That means to buy you back. What did he do? How much money did he use? His blood. He bought you back. He paid the price for you so you don't have to pay the price yourself. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? What kind of God would do that? What kind of God would stretch out his arms on a cross? I, you'd read that if you'd open up the box. I mean, the book, right? And you'd also read about his incredible plan and purpose for you. He doesn't just want to save you. He wants to sanctify you and get you straight on the narrow road. And he has a plan and a purpose to give you hope and a future. 
I mean, I can go on forever here. I just, I barely opened the book, you know? He'd open up and he'd say, he'd say you're going to take my sins and he's going to throw them as far as, watch how good I am. The east is from the west. Or that the east from the west. It's that one, isn't it? It's the, he's going to throw your sins. If you will confess your sins, he says, I will throw your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will give you grace and forgiveness. You'd read that, but you got to open up the box. I mean, you got to open up the book, right? And, and then he would say, you know what? Here's what I want to do. I want you to become born again, a new creation in Christ. You would read, you would read that. It's just, it's just incredible. And you'd also read something really interesting. Read that Jesus has been really patient with you. He would. You'd run into 1 Peter 3.20. You might not fully understand it, but you will now. Where it says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah. While the ark was being built, in it, only a few people ate and all were saved through God was patient in the days of Noah, and God has been patient with you. And God has been patient with us. And God has been really, really, really patient with me. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Last scripture, 2 Peter 3, 8. Read 8 through 13. Do not forget this. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. None to perish in the flood, none to perish in the fire, but everyone to come to repentance. That means to turn to him. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Are you kidding me? That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But keep, but in keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I don't know about you, but I'm fired up. Verse 9, he, God, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish in the flood or the fire, but everyone to come to repentance. Would you stand, please? I want you to know something about God. He is extremely patient with you. Look at the person next to you and say, dude, God has been patient with you. He said, I'm not doing that. Well, 
that's fine. What an incredible God we serve. When you realize that Jesus actually said, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not coming back until all people have had a clear presentation of the gospel. Because all nations, all ethnicities are going to hear the gospel. And once they hear that, then guess what? Once Jesus is satisfied with that, he's going to blow the trumpet and we ought to hear somebody say, praise the Lord. It's just incredible. Question, what are you waiting for when it comes to getting in the ark? I mean, are you like destined to be one of those people that pound on the door, hoping to get in? Well, how do I get in? You get in Christ. You get in Christ. Quit trusting in yourself and in society, and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The God who came the first time is coming again a second time, and he's being patient with you. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. It's not a scare tactic. It's called truth. I love you enough to tell you the truth. So before we go into a time of worship, real quick, anybody to my far right here with a raised hand, you'd say, preacher, it's time for me to get in Christ. I need to get in the ark. Just raise your hand and go, I need you to pray for me. Anybody. We have one person in the first service. Anybody. All right, cool. How about to my far left over here? You're like, I just, it's time for me to get right with Jesus. It's just time. There's a hand. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Appreciate your boldness. That's incredible. Way to go. Anybody else? You know, I'm not going to freak you out. I'm saying he's shining the door of the ark right now. I, I don't know. I'm going to be able to get that out before he returns. Anybody in the center area? You raise your hand and say, it's time, man. There's a hand back there. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I love it. Okay, gonna, for, for those of you who raised your hand, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to come down and stand on this carpet over here. All we're going to do is pray for you. We're not going to do, any, we're not gonna do anything weird. All right? How many know we don't do anything weird here? Well, maybe not anything, but yeah, you get the point. Come on down here. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah, man. Way to go. Love it. Love it. Yeah. This is what it's about. Way to go. Hallelujah. I love it. We have some people next to you there that are going to help you a little bit. Another lady coming up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to lead all of you guys in a prayer. Help us out here, guys. Um, I'm asking everybody in the house to repeat this with me. All we're going to do is admit to Jesus that we need him. All right? I did this in March of 19. See, they know, all right? And you guys are getting ready to do it today. And all you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, I'm not Lord, you are. And I'm asking you to forgive me and give me a brand new start, right? That's what we're doing right here. You're starting a new journey, a new life with Jesus as Lord. It's incredible. Everybody in the house, repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. I admit I've broken your laws and I've broken your heart. And I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. 
And right now, Jesus, I confess all my sins. I give them to you. And I believe that your blood forgives me of all my sins. I trust in you alone to be my Savior and to be my Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Woo! All right. Hallelujah. Can I finish or you guys want to go home? I know it's late. I don't know why I'm like 20 minutes longer in this service, but that's how it works in the second service. For those of you that maybe are still wrestling with whether or not you should return or come up forward, I let life get in the way. I didn't spend a day, let alone a few hours, I'm replacing my hot water tank. So I experienced a flood. Because I didn't take the warning signs seriously, again, we experienced a flood. Here's a great, great question for everybody in the crowd. What will you do with the gift God the Father wants to give you? My father gave me a hot water tank. I didn't do hardly anything with it. Are you hearing me? And I want you to know that God the Father is offering you the gift of eternal life right now. Right? Don't. Listen, it's one thing for me to reject my earthly father's gift of a hot water tank. It's a whole other animal to say, you know what? I don't need your gift. I'm going to get in on my own. No, you need the gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Final challenge. It's not enough to know what's in the box or what's in the book. We have to get prepared and practice what's in the box, what's in the book. This song that we're getting ready to sing is pretty powerful. I'm going to encourage you to stick around for it. The altar's going to be open. If you just want to go after Jesus right here, if you want to stand in the gap, intercede, uh, for those that are loved ones that don't know Christ, maybe come over here and we'll have a prayer team to pray for you because you might have a cousin, a, a, a child, a, a parent that doesn't know Christ and you want prayer for them to respond to this. Father, thank you for our time together. May we go after you with everything we have. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's worship. That concludes this week's podcast. To stay up to date with all things Rock Church, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram as Rock Church MI.